Alfred Balper, the team of Nebraska, Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. His weekly Monday appearance is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. Unlike most episodes of Fangraphs Audio with Dave Cameron, which are facilitated by some manner of phone and or internet phone technology, the following conversation has been conducted live and in person in the second story of the Phoenix Hilton Airport in Phoenix, Arizona, where Team Fangraphs has spent the last three days on their annual pilgrimage to the desert for spring training. Dave Cameron was also here uh, as a participant and attendee at the Sabre Analytics Conference. We discussed that briefly. That conversation segues nicely, uh, segues nicely, and you'll find out why segues nicely, to a conversation of health or lack thereof uh, among certainly pitchers of late, Patrick Corbin, Jared Parker, Chris Medlin, perhaps etc., perhaps not, also Jose Iglesias. We discuss a free agent who's available, and Stephen Drew, relevant to the Jose Iglesias situation, and one who's just been signed, and Irvin Santana. And notably, uh, Dave Cameron shares his thoughts on childcare. So you just bring a bunch of Xanax and shove it down his throat. This Fangraphs audio, it features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. Pretty decent. Okay. You're, not, you're not a quiet talker necessarily. I don't think so. No. I think it'll work out. Uh, we're in. We're in your hotel room. We are at the very end of the hotel. It's like almost in another hotel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed that because I was walking from my room. I was like, I didn't know. I was like, is is this building shaped like an octagon? It's like <laughs> a, it's a very long L, I think. Yeah. Uh, right. This is our second year at this hotel. It is. Um, but yeah, I don't know if we've communicated that this is your. We're we're currently in Arizona together. Uh, this is your five of our team Fangraphs trip. Yes, the Fangraphs staff trip to Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, it's a different thing. Is it? It's, it's both different and the same. It is remarkably the same as last year's. As we're staying in the same hotel, yes, and we went to many of the same restaurants. Good uh, restaurants. Good, good restaurants. I mean, when you have 25 people, there's only so many places you can go. You can't just, like, show up to a restaurant and be like, we're here, serve yeah. us. Although I think that, so we went last night to Chelsea's Kitchen. Correct. Which is up uh, just... Scottsdale. Uh, that was Scottsdale? That's Scottsdale. Okay. It, what is that, like, north northeast of the city? Sort of? uh, just north. Northeast of the airport, but north okay. of Phoenix, yeah. Um, and I think that last year we did go without a reservation. Is that we, true? We called ahead of time and said, can we bring a large group? And they said, sure, why not, as long as you don't mind not sitting together. But this year we had reservations so we could sit together. Right. Certain of our party, I would prefer not to sit here. I would have liked that as well. <laughs> uh, so the you've been here, let's see, this is a Monday. You've been here since? Last Tuesday. Last Tuesday. And the reason... Uh, the reason you've been here partially for this this trip, but it's also for a Sabre Analytics Conference. Correct. We combined our week and a half long trip from prior years into one slightly shorter trip. So this year it's the Sabre Analytics Conference plus the staff trip. Right. And, uh, well, the Sabre Analytics, this is year three, I think? Year three, correct. And did you learn anything? I did. I mean, there was some good stuff. Stan yeah. Conti of the Los Angeles Dodgers had some interesting information on the medical panel. Uh, oh, okay. I, I enjoyed, you know, like his contributions, and 
uh, Glenn Fleisig of ASMI was on that panel as well. What's ASMI? Uh, the American Sports Medicine Institute. It's James, oh, so, James so, Andrews. You may have heard of Dr. Yeah, Dr. Okay, Andrews. Yeah. But largely, uh, so largely, so the, the medical, um, Medical analysis or yeah. medical right. they, they talked about, you know, where the Major League Baseball is going in terms of injury prevention and what they've done and whether it's working and whether they need to try something else. Uh, I really – I thought that panel was uh, quite good. Is that – is that a sort of area where um – I mean, there's, there's a lot of room for improvement there, I guess. Yeah, I think as we've seen over the last week, we're not <laughs> keeping pitchers very healthy in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, they're all dying, I think. Um, and it, it, it was that, was it, um, would you say it skewed towards pitchers, the discussion of? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, there was a member of the Major League Baseball, uh, Labor Relations Department, uh, Commissioner's Office on the panel, and he said most of their work right now is focused on pitchers because, uh, a lot of the injuries with hitters are random and hard to prevent. So if a center fielder crashes into a wall and breaks his wrist, that is unfortunate, but maybe not preventable. Uh, where pitcher injuries are theoretically preventable, uh, we don't know how to prevent them, but we think we might eventually figure it out, or at least figure out how to select for pitchers who aren't going to break down quite as easily. Where with a hitter who gets, you know, hit in the hand by a pitch or, uh, pulls his hamstring or something. This is right. much more difficult to to guard against. But the act of pitching is still a fundamentally um, stressful one. It is. Uh, I think it is more stressful to some pitchers than others, depending on their mechanics and and their body type and the, the way they throw. Um, I think you know some of the hope and Glenn Fleissig's, uh hope is that maybe we can get biomechanical models. Uh, Sport Vision said they're going to start trying to track biomechanics in-game so that you could maybe see how a pitcher's mechanics are changing as the game goes on and maybe prevent him from pitching an extra inning if he's lowered his arm slot or you start to see some signs that he's fatiguing uh, and maybe some of those dangerous pitches that do some damage, maybe you could get him out before he throws that pitch, give him a couple of weeks off, and maybe that ligament never snaps. But dangerous both in terms of um, the health ramifications. I would also assume that uh, I don't think this is shocking that pitchers become less effective when they are when it's more difficult for them to repeat their mechanics. Correct. There's a uh, sometimes a, a gradual decline where the player's injured and pitching injured, and so his performance shows signs that maybe there's something wrong, and then they find something wrong. I think there's also like Pat Corbin who was pitching pretty well in spring training and showed no signs really of any injury, and then all of a sudden he just walked off the mound, and now he probably needs Tommy John surgery. Yeah, that's frustrating. Um, and that was one of the things I was uh, – well, I mean, it makes sense to talk about because we've just had uh, – well, what, the last 48 hours, I think we've had Corbin and um, from the A's – Jared Parker. Jared Parker. Uh, Jared Parker definitely getting – Jared Parker is getting a second Tommy John surgery. Yeah, second Tommy John surgery. Do we know anything about um, pitchers who've had one versus two Tommy John surgery? Two is not good. You don't want to have one once. You, you, they actually talked about this in the medical panel. The uh, recovery rates for pitchers who have had two are not not great, uh, certainly worse than pitchers who have one. Mm-hmm. Usually their guess is that if you have a second one, it's just the surgery that failed. Like So whatever – uh, happened in the sur- not necessarily the surgeon himself failed, but the surgery was not a success, and so whatever ligament you 
were supposed to have repaired uh, was not properly repaired, and that's why it broke again, and you have to have the surgery over again. Uh, but the repair rates and the success rates for guys having uh, twice, there weren't a lot of them because it's uh, Tommy John's still kind of new, and there aren't that many guys who've come back from having it once broken down and were still young enough to have it again. You're, right. you're kind of looking for a young pitcher who has Tommy John surgery and still has a career left to have it a second time. Uh, but the success rates for second-time Tommy John guys are not, not great. What's the... What is that list? Or do you sample from it off the top of your head? You want me to have memorized all the pictures? I know uh, Chris Capuano has had it twice. Okay, yeah. Uh, so there's an example. There, okay. Yeah. I, do I don't have these memorized, and you didn't tell me to prepare, so... Did Adam Wainwright have two? I don't think so. I think he only had one. All right. Uh, I think the list of pitchers who had two is is not filled with Adam Wainwrights. It is filled with Chris Capuano's. Uh, reasonably effective. Yeah, sure. It's not a death sentence. It's not a shoulder. It's not a you know. Shoulder, shoulders scarier. Shoulders are awful. Yeah. If, if your shoulders messed up, you're you're not done forever. But I think you know. Sorry, going to be fundamentally. Yeah, I mean, Eno wrote a piece for us last year. I think that said after shoulder surgery, the average pitcher throws another forty innings in the major leagues. That's uh, not good. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, coming back, you get forty innings before you break down or you're out of baseball. Uh, so I think the max was like two two fifty or something. Right. Uh, I believe Corbin left with forearm For, tightness. Forearm tightness. Forearm yes, tightness, which generally means my elbow hurts. Right. Parker left with. Did he? Did he technically? Yeah. I know that Chris Medlin. Yeah. What do we know? Where's Chris Medlin he's, right now? He's probably going to have a second Tommy John as well. Okay, second Tommy John, um, and he definitely left with forearm tightness. I believe so. Yes. I was. I was um, thinking of going through this. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. But if you were to find, um, if you know, from game reports. If you were to identify every instance in which a pitcher left a game, spring training I think included, uh, but definitely regular season, left a game with forearm tightness, what percentage of those pitchers went on in you know the next uh, couple months to have Tommy John surgery? Eighty percent. You think it'd be very high? Very high. Yeah. And th- that's is that like that's the so what, what is? Do you know? Maybe you don't know. Like, I, I I am not a medical expert. Right. Uh, but it but that's generally like the. That's the that's the first thing you hear, though. Yeah, I think uh, what I do know is that there's what they call the flexor bundle in your elbow, and that is where a bunch of tendons come together. Okay. And apparently, if that is strained or injured in some way, it can lead down to your forearm, and that's where the pain is. Okay. Uh, but it actually indicates some kind of problem in your flexor bundle. Right. You know, uh, Petriello today had a piece. Uh, th- th- it wasn't necessarily full. Um, it wasn't necessarily full of hard data, but just this this idea of Pitchers who, uh, and what his, I think it probably started for him because, of course, he follows the Dodgers quite closely. And Ross Stripling, I believe, is the uh, pitcher who had been a teammate of Michael Wacha's at Texas NM, um, <clears throat> who I think he was throwing a cutter, felt a tear in his arm, and then pitched another week. Right. I not, mean, it, not a good idea. Not a great idea. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the public won't have access to every instance of this happening, but it seems as though it happens enough in a way that the public is aware of it, that gets reported that it's happening It's happening quite a bit. It's happening pretty frequently. Yeah, I mean, I think pitchers uh, have varying degrees of pain tolerance, and some of them don't want to accept the fact that they may be injured and they're going to have to spend the next 12 to 18 months rehabbing, and in some cases their career might be over, so they just try to pitch through it, and then after it doesn't work, they say, hey, this, this, isn't, this isn't so good here. Right. Um, so with regard to – well, let's talk about uh, Jared Parker first because Jared Parker also opened up, opens up a conversation about the A's generally. 
Uh, I think I saw a quote today from Forst, David Forst, uh, to the effect that um, we knew that we were uh, going to have to – we weren't going to have just five starters make it to the end of the season. Uh, now we won't have five starters make it to opening day. Right. Um, so right now besides um, um, the aforementioned uh, – I can't Jared Parker? Yeah, Jared Parker, of course. Yeah. Uh, they've also uh, – A.J. Griffin, I believe. Is on the DL. Is on the or DL. will start the season on the DL. Um, who else? What Scott Casimir got scratched from his start today with minor elbow soreness. Right. Uh, or maybe even forearm soreness. But they say it's very minor. He might actually start tomorrow. So they're, right. they don't seem super concerned about that. But, I mean, you know, it, you don't like having any pitcher get scratched. Right. So that's three guys. Um who else, do they, who else do they have over there? Well, Tommy Malone is probably going to step into the rotation, which you should be very excited about. Well, I mean, I, I think Tommy Malone is uh, he's, um, serviceable. Yeah. Absolutely serviceable. Yeah, I mean, as your seventh starter or whatever, he is one of the best ones in the league. He'll still be a quality number five starter. Right. Uh, and I think Je- Jesse Chavez, who's been a reliever for most of his career, uh, and a long reliever, is going to move into the rotation. So is Sonny Gray okay? Sonny Gray is, as far as we know, uh, since we were started recording, you never know. He <laughs> might have died in a fire. Uh, but uh, <laughs> as long as he is still alive, I think his elbow is intact. Okay, good. And uh, is, who, so who's the ace of the staff now? Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is the ace. Yeah, and he's not bad. He is very good. He's, but, but ideally... Um, for the A's, not there, not they're going to be the head of the staff. I mean, I think if you have a payroll the size of the A's payroll, you're not going to be able to afford a Justin Verlander or Clayton Kershaw or you know one of these high end pitchers. So you kind of need your best pitcher to be young and cost controlled and cheap. And Sonny Gray is all of those things. Right. Um, what do we know? So the, the from from here for today, the AL West looks has looked competitive. Yes. Insofar as the Angels will almost certainly be better, it would be hard for them not to be. They better should be better. Week. Yes. Um, the Texas Rangers are always quite competitive, and they appear to have assembled a, a good team. Yeah, I think uh, our projections have the Rangers at 85-86 wins. I would go over on that, maybe 88-89. They're not a juggernaut, but they're they're a solid contender. Right, and then, uh, of course, Oakland has had a great deal of success in recent years, and right. uh, entering the season has had very similar roster to previous seasons. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a depth over stars team, but uh, they've got managed to outperform our projections quite a bit in the last few years, and I think... This is the kind of team that could be uh, on the verge of being a solid wild card or division contender again. Right. So, uh, just uh, given what we know about who is injured and um, uh, the replacement pitchers for those injured, I mean, what are we thinking? Minus two wins? Minus three wins? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't think Jared Parker or A.J. Griffin are amazing. These are not uh, devastating losses. This is not the Dodgers losing Clayton Kershaw uh, or something along those lines. Uh, but I do think, you know, anytime you – you, you can't just say, okay, well, we're swapping out Jared Parker for Tommy Malone. It's only a win. You're also swapping out Tommy Malone for whoever is next on the depth chart because they're still going to need more than just the five starters on opening day. Those five aren't going to make it through the entire year. Right. So there's going to be some future injury in which Tommy Malone would have won the person stepping in and given quality innings, and now it's going to be some person from their farm system who is less good than Tommy Malone. So you have a little bit of a, a chaining effect here where it's uh, you know not just the downgrade now but the downgrade later as well. Um, and I think this will, you know, this is why the A's had seven or eight starting pitchers, as they knew this happens. Right. Dan, Dan Straley, that's another pitcher for the A's. It is a pitcher for the A's. Still healthy, presumably. Uh, I think he is also not yet died. Maybe the number two, the t- two starter now. Maybe. Yeah, they're, okay. They're, they're going down fast. Uh, Patrick Corbin's injured. Patrick Corbin is injured. He has not yet decided to have Tommy John surgery, but it seems to be likely. Yeah. What, uh, what did he, uh, we were talking actually about this yesterday. Uh, he does not have money yet. 
He well, he has some. I He's mean, got he, some. He got paid five hundred thousand dollars last year, which is right. more than we got. Yes, uh, it so is. Certainly, yep. uh, he'll get five hundred thousand dollars again this year, or right. five ten, or whatever the Diamondbacks uh, you know gave him with his. Right. Second full year in the big leagues. Uh, so he's not, you know, impoverished. He right. will not be uh, cashing unemployment checks at the yeah. local Social Security office. Nope. But he does not have a uh, long-term prosperous contract that it will be paying him millions to rehab. Yeah, the sort that it seemed as though he might be on his way to receiving. I think if he would have pitched well again this year, next winter he would have signed some kind of long-term deal with the Diamondbacks. But this is one of the reasons you wait a little bit longer on pitchers. If he had replicated uh, last year's season, or you know, come close to it, approximated it, I should say, uh, what would that? What, where, where would that put him? Or where would that have put him in terms of? Comps. I think he would have been looking for the Madison Mumgarner, Chris Sale, something in that range. To that level, though. I think, you know, he was very good last year. Yeah, if he had another one of those years, uh, he wasn't going to be settling for, you know, $5 million a year. Right. Okay. Um, another player, now that you, this actually dovetails with a piece that you wrote for today, actually, with regard to um, another injured player. Not a pitcher in this case, but uh, um, on the theme of uh, losses by means of injury, uh, Jose Iglesias on the Detroit Tigers, and you will argue that, uh, well, of course, immediately uh, there's a connection being made between the Tigers and uh, Stephen Drew, who's a decent shortstop. He is a decent shortstop. Yeah. Pretty much league average. Right. Yeah. And uh, has a draft pick tied to him. Correct. Which makes him a little bit less attractive than... Well, actually, if he had a draft pick tied to him, he'd be very attractive. He would love these <laughs> draft picks, and they would just sign him and the untie the draft pick, and he would have been. Yeah, no, yeah. no. the trick is um, they're not allowed to be untied. Right. Yeah, yeah, they have to play in the field together. Yeah, <laughs> you're running around with this draft selection, yeah. blocking your glove. It would be hard to be effective. Right, and then and then Stephen Drew would have to accompany the prospect right. to his yeah, minor league right. game. Yeah, Stephen Drew has to scout the prospect, sign the prospect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're tied together. Um, now, you, now, you're saying that... The sort of um, whatever, like Don, I guess Don Kelly or uh, uh, Hernan Perez, Hernan Perez, whoever is going to be replacing Jose Iglesias, what in in whatever the loss is there, the net loss, one win, one and a half wins. It depends on the time frame in which Hernan Perez gets playing time, but yeah, it's going to be one to two wins. It would be two wins over the whole season, something okay. in that range. I think it's very unlikely that Detroit would go with Hernan Perez for the entire season. They would, you know evaluate their options after the draft and say, well, Stephen Drew is still available without the draft pick. Is there someone out there we can trade for? Is Jose Iglesias going to come back? I think uh, we would expect them to make some kind of second-half upgrade, whether they sign Stephen Drew now or not. Okay, right. Now, um, one reason to talk about Stephen Drew is because uh, he's maybe the best free agent left? Yeah, and he's better than Kendrick Morales. So. Okay, right. Uh, and one reason that he is the best left is because... Uh, Irvin Santana is no longer. I don't think we've spoken since Irvin Santana signed. I believe that's correct. Irvin Santana signed last week. And so what did, he, what did they he get for him? $14 million for one year. He basically took the qualifying offer from the Braves. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and he would have been getting the qualifying offer from the Royals, I guess. He turned that down from the Royals. And since right. the Royals and Braves are actually just one organization uh, with a couple thousand miles in between them, right. uh, the Braves said, well, you turned down the Royals, but we'll, we'll <laughs> re-offer you the qualifying offer and you can say yes this time. Right. And and uh, I think we spoke before, like that was a deal that, uh, or maybe, because uh, I think Sullivan wrote this piece up, that the idea that if the Royals, certainly the Royals would have liked to have Santana for 114, um, because that's roughly what they're paying. They're, I mean, they gave money to Jason Vargas. They gave $8 million a year to Jason Vargas, but on a four-year deal. On a four-year deal, right. So if you, so there's sort of, uh, there's some 
differences there in terms of risk and reward, et cetera. Right. I mean, you think Irvinson is better than Jason Vargas, but he's also more expensive than Jason Vargas in salary. So right. it's not actually obviously clear that the Royals would prefer Santana at 114 than Vargas at 432 if they think Vargas is going to keep pitching well for the next few years. Right. Uh, you know, I think if you have $8 million on Vargas and then $6 million spent on something else, if you have a limited payroll like the Royals, you might really value that $6 million. That's almost what they gave Omar Infante. Uh, and I think oh. they would rather have Vargas and Infante than just Santana. Right. Uh, but now, so now uh, Santana becomes part of an Atlanta, ro- uh, Atlanta rotation. Correct. He replaces Chris Medlin, who's having Tommy John surgery. And so that was the that was the major impetus. Well, had uh, the Medlin the Medlin injury had, had the Medlin injury happened, and the Braves called Santana and said, "Hey, do you want to pitch in the National League?" And he said, "Sir, sure. is that is that something that that uh, agents count on, or that that makes them less afraid about waiting into spring training?" Yeah, I think if you're a free agent pitcher, you know that people are going to go down in spring training. Uh, I think the you know there's been some uh, history of guys who you know blow out their knees or blow out their arms or whatever, and the free agent. Is all of a sudden a mightily you know, attractive option for the team who now has a giant hole to fill. Uh, I don't think it's a preferred option, but it's one reason to wait until March is, you know, someone's going to need you but didn't need you in November. If, if I were to look, I'm not going to, but if I were to look back at the, um, the, the months at which, or the numbers of free agents who waited into March, for example, <clears throat> would I be more likely see, uh, would I see more pitchers or more hitters, do you think? Well, more hit pitchers, certainly. Definitely yeah, more pitchers. More pitchers, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's just the answer. That is, uh, is the correct answer. <laughs> I mean, there's other answers that are incorrect, but that is the correct <laughs> one. Uh, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's been 20 minutes. Um, I wanted to talk for um, for the purposes of the listener, but also for the purposes of me. I want to talk about the positional power rankings that are coming out. They debut in two days. They debut in two days. Wednesday? Wednesday. And uh, we've done this before. This is something we started in lieu of, like... Well, we didn't do it. I think the first year was two years ago. We right. did them as a alongside the organizational rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then last year, we did not do the organizational rankings. We turned the positional power rankings into our season preview, and we're going to continue with that model this year. The difficulty with the other one was... There are many of them. Uh, I <laughs> the, think, doing organizational rankings generally. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the concept uh, is still interesting to me of trying to evaluate an organization's standing in total mm-hmm. and saying, you know, in the future, which organization uh, is in a better shape to succeed going forward. Like health, organizational health. Organizational health, yes. Like some kind of report card of a snapshot at this moment. Yeah. Uh, I think the problem is that people – maybe did not interpret them the way we intended them to interpret them, uh, or maybe that's a problem for us in communicating. Uh, and they saw it as, you know, as with many rankings, a list of past performance. So, you know, a couple of years ago, the San Francisco Giants famously won the World Series and then were ranked 27th in organizational acumen. Mm-hmm. And uh, people were unhappy about that because they had just won the World Series. And so they felt like, you know, you should recognize what had already happened. And uh, so, you know, I think when there's a disconnect between what we're trying to do and what people think we're trying to do, it made sense to not continue the series and and uh, move in a slightly different direction. Right. But so with the positional power rankings, um, as you said, we've done these last year. This, these are, uh, I will say as a writer, they're kind of monsters to write. Yeah, they're they're big. Should I, should I have started already? You should have finished already. Oh no! Yeah, you should you should have your post in the queue by the time the podcast is up. Are you done? Are you done with yours? No. No, oh, okay. of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I write faster than you, though. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
We'll just go. But it's starting Wednesday. So what do you do on Wednesday? What are you doing? I'm doing the introduction. Yeah. And then Jeff Sullivan's going to start off with catchers. And Did he do catchers yet? He is working on it, I believe. Okay. He's on a plane right now, maybe. He is probably on a plane. Yeah. Hopefully, this one will not disappear. Oh yeah, that's right. It's a problem these days. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's doing catchers, and then we'll fill out infielders the rest of the week. And next week we will do outfielders, starting pitchers, and bullpens. Okay. And the. Uh, but basically, we want to essentially you're establishing context for, at some level, for the health of organizations by position as we enter the season. Right. I mean, so it's kind of a season preview where most people who do season previews or most sites who do season previews do it by team, and mm-hmm. they just go down the team and say, "This is what the team's good at. This is what the team's not good at. These are the team's best players. This is their outlook for the season." We didn't necessarily want to do a generic season preview, but we felt like this is a good way to convey some of the same information just doing it in positional form instead of in team form uh, so that you can see, like, you know, here's how the Phillies second basemen stack up against the Mets second baseman, and you can kind of compare peer-to-peer uh, within division, within the league, within the entire you know, Major League Baseball and say, you know, here's a here's an area of real strength or here's a, you know, uh, a re- area of weakness where a team would look to upgrade. And because we're not just doing the starters, we're also giving attention to the backups and the depth guys and the minor leaguers who could potentially play. Right. We're evaluating an organization's total health at that position uh, rather than... Just saying, you know, Robinson Cano is good, right? <clears throat> and uh, on how many and how, and how many of these posts will Ben Zobris name appear? Probably several. He's uh, multi-position players are always a little tricky. They they throw us a little bit of a curveball, uh, but yeah, I think he will appear at least in second base, probably in shortstop, and maybe even in right field. Right, where he's been, he's played. I guess they have mostly Myers out there. Will Myers has played some outfield. I don't think specifically just right. He might have played some left as oh, well. Okay. I could be wrong. I'm really just making this up as we go. <laughs> All right. Um, positional teams. Uh, Arizona. Oh yeah. Well, let's um, let's talk about something really important. I, I will say that sitting across from you, I can see that you are a little bit on the fatigued side. Uh, you know, I think a week in Arizona is uh, it takes it out of you a little bit. I think yeah. uh, previous trips we've done have been like eleven or twelve days after which I wanted to off myself. This <laughs> time I am, I have not yet lost the will to live, but I have lost the will to remain in Arizona. <laughs> and I'm, uh, looking forward to what's, returning. What's, ex- to my home. what's exhausting about it? You think? I don't actually know. I think. Well, the heat heat is part of it. I think. Heat, heat is part of it. I think not just being in a routine, coming from the East Coast to the West Coast, and having time change, uh, and just you know. Feeling like, uh, you know, I've got work to do, Fangraph still needs content, people like to read things, so I should write them. Should I stop talking? No, I realized that my uh, my headphone phones weren't plugged in. Oh, so why were you wearing them? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It's more of a mute button. Then. Well, I can see how loud it is right here. It's fine. Okay. Um... Anyway, I just am looking forward to getting – I have a routine that I, I am comfortable with, and I miss my wife, and I miss my dog, and I miss my house, and I miss my own bed. I, you know, I, I think I like traveling until I travel, and then I'm like, ah, I travel, eh. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. The heat, the heat. Also, um, these trips that we do are like – really packed in terms of events. They are. I think that's one of the things where I I like personal alone time in yeah. my day, and we don't get much of that. So it's yeah. like, you know, seven days of constant interaction with others who, yeah. you know, I like these people. I don't get to see them very often. But at the same time, it's like I kind of just wouldn't mind hanging out by myself for a few right. hours. Right. Uh, well, I'll get I'll, – I'll leave you alone in a minute. Um, but we'll have, I want to re- revisit a conversation that uh, we've been having on and off all week. Um 
Do you have a sense of what it might be? Why you haven't used deodorant the whole time you're here? No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't used deodorant. Okay. And I'll take a shower soon. No, um, vehicles. Vehicles. Yeah, because uh, I want to turn, I want to, um, right. hold the podcast hostage just a moment. Um, I, everyone tell Carson to buy a full size car. <laughs> or a standard size no, car. I just not just, a clown car. I was looking through, um, I was trying to evaluate my, my criteria, right? Yeah. For getting a car. Uh, you know, um, people, but uh, my wife and I are slowly, we're, we're making our way up into the middle class. Uh, lower middle class. Lower yeah, middle yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but we'll, we'll find ourselves in a position both where we need and we could, um, we can almost nearly afford a car. Yeah. And, uh, so we're looking for something, we're looking for something that's uh, priced decently. Correct. Um, um, that uh, we we would not buy, mind buying a used car. A used car is the way to go. Used car is the way to go, sure, especially if it's under warranty, so probably less yeah. than a gently used car is generally better than a worn and haggard car. Yeah, less, but so less than thirty six thousand. That's a good. I mean, I think that's generally when the manufacturer's warranties expire. So that's a you know, it gives you a chance to have some buffer in case the person is trying to screw you. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, miles per gallon. Uh, fuel efficiency? Yeah, that is helpful if you're going to drive a lot. It is maybe a little overrated for people who have very short commutes, but okay. if you're an extensive driver, it can add up for sure. So, you're right. Yeah, that seems important to me. And uh, if I could, if I could be helping the environment in any way, if I could assuage my guilt, right, for for driving in the first place. Yeah, you, you could always just buy carbon offsets and then get like a Hummer. <laughs> yeah, that seems a bit. A lot more expensive than the <laughs> Well, probably. Price was one of the early <laughs> right. criteria. Right? Okay, fine. But at least it would assuage your guilt. Yeah. Um, probably something – I don't know if this is overstated or not, but the, the capacity to handle in the snow. That is a thing for a person who's going to live in New Hampshire. And I don't know if it is – if all w- – All-wheel drive. Is, if it's ne- absolutely necessary. No, I don't think my – like growing up, I don't think we ever had an all-wheel drive car. Well, cars have changed a lot since you were young, and right. I think. Uh, but but we had we just had front wheel drive cars, and they were they were reasonable. My dad did have some BMWs, which are a rear wheel drive car, and which are tend tend to be less effective. Right. I think uh, having driven my car, which is a front wheel drive uh, Mazda hatchback, mm-hmm. uh, I lo- I like my car a lot. But uh, recently, having snowstorms in North Carolina, I can tell you it is ineffectual and <laughs> getting down the road when there is you know uh, moisture on the road where my wife has an all-wheel drive uh, Nissan mm-hmm. and that car handles great in the road so driving both within a couple of days of each other on snow I I have learned and knew but have reinforced that there is a dramatic difference all-wheel drive is an actual thing that helps okay it is yeah. because be, be, it's not like a license just goes fast as you want no, on the icy not. road but it is a license to get up your driveway which right. is, you know, important. Because what, if if in, in the instance that one tire maybe doesn't have traction, yeah. like the front right tire, the back left tire? If you don't have all-wheel drive and you're trying to drive up a hill that is covered in ice or snow, you're not going to get up you're the not hill. All-wheel drive car can at least gain enough traction to move your car on treacherous circumstances. Okay. Uh, but if you're driving up any kind of grade uh, with a front wheel or rear wheel drive car, you yeah. are in trouble. Right. And then finally, uh, the, this is the point upon which you think I'm most naive. Correct. Is the question of space. I think, because I have discussed with Mr. Sestouli the <laughs> chance that in the future he would obtain a child or an animal. Yes. Uh, maybe both. Yeah, possible. And, uh, not, I, not imminent. Well, the pet is imminent. Okay. The pet is is a definite. Okay. My, my wife 
My wife has – I have to first be able to be allowed to touch my wife before right. we yeah. can ever theoretically – Right. Well, you can just steal someone else's child. Yeah, but that's true. Right. That's yeah. a possibility. Uh, so if you have a, a child specifically – an animal is also a little bit of work, but a child specifically, they come with stuff. Uh, strollers are – bulky and large and diaper bags are not minuscule and you have to take a pack and play if you're going to go to someone's house and the kid is going to sleep which is something you generally want the kid to do when you're at someone's house i want the kid to sleep till he's 18 right so you can't just bring a bunch of xanax and shove it down his throat you have to bring a pack and play so he can sleep uh these items do not fit in the kinds of cars you've been looking at yeah well Uh, so one of the i was looking at was a honda fit yes Um, it is just entirely too small i talked to some people who've driven a honda fit enothoris Drives a Honda Fit, right? And they 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 got what did they get into a CRV after they that? They also have a CRV. They and, got a CRV. I think he mentioned uh, that the Fit was not a great car for. It was for, not a great fit. Not a, not a great fit. Not a great fit for yeah. someone if you're trying to ask to to transport a child. Yeah. Um, there were yes, there have been some. I, um, the Prius C, maybe still still too small. You think? I think you want a standard size car. Not not a mini car. You're saying a wagon? No, no. You know, not a sedan would be okay. Mm-hmm. I I prefer wagons to sedans personally. I would prefer a wagon as well. Yes, I think the the hatch feature is mm-hmm. is great, and especially for getting strollers and things like that in, uh, and makes loading easier. Uh, also, better for animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives them a window to look out if you put them in the back. Uh, I like. I have a strong preference for hatchbacks. I do think the the shrunken cars that you've been looking at. Uh, the Nissan Juke and the like. I like the Juke. Yeah, and I'm sure they're fun to drive, but yeah. they are designed for empty nesters mm-hmm. and people whose kids are grown and who they will not be transporting with pack and plays. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm curious. If uh, if we could if I could hijack this for a second, if the Nissan Juke, if that style of car, maybe a Fiat 500L, right. is another one I've seen. It's a little bit bigger. A Mini Cooper. All of these cars. The are, Mini Countryman. Right. These are all about the same size. They're they're slightly smaller than your standard car. If anyone has pets and or children, if you have these cars, it, now you told me about a website that's essentially like if there were a fan graphs of cars. Well, so it's not the data side. Right, the, right. the blog was called the, the, truth, the, the intensity of interest. Right. The truth about cars. Yeah. Uh, when I was buying my wife's car a few years ago, I found this uh, pretty pretty terrific resource. They are car enthusiasts. Yeah. So people who are just going to put it on autopilot and drive to school every day might not find all the same benefits, but they are very thorough in their breakdowns of the positives and negatives of certain kinds of automobiles, and I found their research invaluable. And and wait, what was the sort of vehicle that they were most excited about? They love specifically, as a group, manual transmission uh, hatchbacks, or wagons, actually, specifically. So if you could find them like a... uh, uh, Volkswagen, uh, Jetta. What about diesel? Do they prefer diesel? They love diesel. So if you have like a Volkswagen, Jetta, diesel wagon, uh, only available in Europe mostly, uh-huh. uh, in manual, uh, they, that would be their perfect car. But, you know, for uh, people like us whose wives probably want an automatic, you know, their interests might not align right. with ours. And I will say that, uh, you're not generalizing. My wife prefers automatic. Yeah, right. For people like us who have wives. Literally us. Yeah, right. The two of us. uh, And I think, you know, I bet you if we sampled the population of women drivers, the, those who prefer manual transmissions would be less than those who prefer, uh, among men. Right, relative to men. Why do men like that? Just because they... We like control. Well, that's why we like to hold the remote when we're watching TV. We're not necessarily going to change the channel, but yeah. we just want to have the ability to. It would be taken taken unaware. Uh, yeah, I don't want the car changing gears on me without me telling it to. It, yeah. it's, it's a subordinate, <laughs> not my master. Yeah. And uh, or last thing before we go, um, the what is the what is the situation with diesel? 
Do I need to know anything about diesel if I look that direction? So old school diesel was bad for the environment and uh, um, not something that you would necessarily want to invest in if you were green conscious, as mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they now have clean diesel, which is uh, a much more environmental-friendly type of diesel. Okay. It is different than unleaded. Uh, it generally gets higher miles per gallon. If you get a clean diesel car, you can often get 40 to 50 miles a gallon. I've noticed this, yeah. Much like you can with a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also more expensive than unleaded. Uh, it does not follow the exact same curve as unleaded fuel, which uh, follows kind of a stock market type up and down seasonal diesel is generally more consistent but it's consistently higher right now okay. so you'll pay a little bit more for gas but you'll get a better efficiency per mile okay. um and you'll generally pay a little bit more for the car to get a diesel than an unleaded and is this because uh, i mean i feel like most gas stations i go to there's a diesel option there's a diesel pump at almost every gas station or okay. i would imagine every single gas station in the world well okay. in the u.s at least okay all right that's helping me out yeah you want to stop well, we can also talk about the Tesla, which is a very expensive electric car, oh, yeah. but now you cannot buy it in Arizona. So you have to leave this state to purchase a Tesla. You, why can't you buy here? Because legislation – we're getting political again. So the car dealers, which have quite the racket, and another reason I prefer buying used is not to support these people. Sorry, car dealers who listen. Yeah. Uh, they have uh, appealed to their local state governments to ban Tesla from their states. Uh, this is now Texas, Arizona, and New Jersey is the latest one. New Jersey? New Jersey as well. Because Tesla does not have dealers, they sell directly to consumers, mm. and they say that they need to do this in order to control the uh, ex- educational experience to teach someone how to drive a Tesla and how to use a Tesla. So they do not want a middleman, which will also eat into their margins, certainly. Mm. Uh, so the dealers have basically banned, uh, managed to get Tesla banned from these three states where you cannot buy them uh, because free market capitalism is all about uh, throwing a competition <laughs> out of the state. <laughs> so wait, it's just, is it just because the lobby is particularly strong? The uh, car dealers have a lot of money. If you've ever noticed, car dealers generally don't live in cardboard houses. They, oh, they wow. do okay. Oh, that is curious. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if for politically inclined people, uh, not that I am uh, politically inclined in many cases, I think this is a pretty good example of a thing to be aware of, is uh, car dealers limiting your choice of future car buying through through lobbying. Yeah. That lobbying, lobbying, it's pretty effective, isn't it? It, it is. <laughs> I think if someone lobbied me, I would probably take their money and do whatever they wanted. But uh, no one lobbies me. What would they be lobbying you for? I don't know. Maybe to punch you in the face. That might that might get some traction. I think listeners are going to be lining up. And what is te- what? Could, how far can I go with a Tesla? Uh, several hundred miles. And uh, now they have set up charging stations around the country. So mm-hmm. theoretically, I think uh, there's actually been a cross country drive. Okay. Uh, on a Tesla. So you just have to stop every once in a while and plug it in while you go in and do things. Now, otherwise, what's what available would be the Leaf. The Nissan Leaf is also an electric car. It's only like 75 miles. Maybe. Yeah, and even less than that in real life. Right. Uh, and I think the Chevy Volt Volt is a thing, and that might be actually a electric slash battery combination. Okay. I believe mm-hmm. that is. Uh, I could be wrong. There's a electric battery combination car that lets you, uh, you know. Both drive on fuel and on electric. You can supplement it, sort of. You can yeah. you can have either or. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'll look into the Volt. I think it has not sold particularly well. Wouldn't that so help me? That might help you. They yeah. might They might be very cheap. That was what was happening with the Fiat too. I think. Yes. Fiat because if Fiats were a disaster in the eighties. Right? Yeah. My parents, who own a car dealer or a car mechanic shop, uh, yeah. when I was a young lad in the eighties, told me that Fiat. Uh, it was actually an acronym for fart in a toilet. That was <laughs> that is what the brand stood for. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's even not like 
Like, why are you going to fart in a toilet? Well, I think sometimes you don't have a choice. <laughs> All right. Yeah, on that note. On that note. Yeah. Sorry, Fiat, for besmirching your name, but... No, yeah. but I think they're better now. They are. They are theoretically better now. But I think people will, people will remember them as not good. Right. Okay. Which might might be to your advantage. They yeah. might be in market inefficiency here. Right. The cars with the... If they have reputation problems. Correct. They might be willing to to take a loss in the short term. They might discount uh, in order to overcome the, the bad reputation and, and convince a new generation of drivers that they're not so bad anymore. Is that a loss leader? No, a loss leader would be more along the lines of uh, you came in to buy a car and yeah. they sold it to you uh, at less than their price, but at the same time they were managed to talk you into uh, car mats that were $7,000 or some other but you, these are nice mats, high right? margin item and they made their money <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, on other things. Uh, that would be a loss leader is to get you in the dealership and then snooker you on, on high margin items. They're going to snooker me? Snooker, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're talking about Fiat in the 80s. Let's just might as well go back in time and pull a word out of the 50s. All right. All right. Well, hopefully don't snooker. Um, all right. We're done. Okay. That has been uh, what well, it continues to be. He's right here. Uh, Dave Cameron, Manchin Editor of Fangraphs. Dave, thanks. Thank you. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.